Welcome to Candid Conversations about Home Health, a podcast jointly produced by NAC, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, and HHFMA, the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association. This podcast series is moderated by Cindy Kraft and Karen Vance. Episode four, Case Management, How to Maximize Your Impact on Every Visit. Our guest today is Kelly Kozak, RN, BSN, and a clinical manager for Cox Health at Home in Springfield, Missouri. She has worked in home health for Cox since 1996, serving in a variety of roles, including Assistant Director of Quality Management and RN Case Manager Preceptor. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Candid Conversations about Home Health. You are with Karen Vance, myself, and Cindy Kraft again for another conversation regarding home health and some of the adventures we have had this last year and looking forward to the near future. We also have a guest interviewee or guest speaker with us today. Her name is Kelly Kozak, and I will um, give you a little bit more information about her as we get into this. The first question I would like to pose to us as a, a group today, as as well as an industry, is even though we've been spending a lot of time talking about some of the changes we've been making over the course of the last year due to both COVID as well as PDGM, I know a lot of us have kind of landed on when we talk about the impact of both of those things, it really kind of ends up being the same because when somebody says, what's the impact of PDGM, it's like, well, we got to do more with less. We've got to get the same or better outcomes with fewer visits. When you talk about the impact of COVID, it's kind of the same thing. We're having to do more with less. We've got to minimize the exposure and help patients get better without exposing them unnecessarily, which is kind of an interesting thing, even though how we handle both of those things, of course, is very different. The other piece to that that I'm curious about is as we have seen the changes that we've made in this last year, I'm also curious about what we will be taking forward with us from our experiences emerging out of 2020. And this really kind of got me thinking when I read an article out of the New England Journal of Medicine, which suggests that organizations may be built for adaptation and flexibility rather than tightly controlled and standardized processes, which many of us have been touting for a long time, trying to get those uh, very standardized protocols. They found that organizations that are highly connected are the most adaptable. And when we have pandemics and other kinds of surprises like we had this last year, being adaptable is one of the key elements of survival. They believe that connections accelerate the flow of information and share resources, and they suggest going forward that such organizations will emphasize communication, collaboration, and innovation. So with that being said, Cindy, I have a question for you for this last year with the clients that you have worked with and what you've seen across the country. What kinds of innovations have you been seeing? So for like example, for prioritizing patients or even communicating with them. What I find interesting is 
is there's a there's a lot of things people are viewing as innovative now virtual visits like we've had on previous podcasts or use of of technology um, not just for the monitoring of vital signs but also for reinforcing behaviors and keeping those touch points with patients but what concerns me about what I'm seeing are, are two separate things. One is a concern. One is I'm not sure all of these great ideas are actually making it all the way down to the frontline clinician as effectively as many leaders would like to believe. I think it's great to have conversations about what those options are. But when the reality is that we're putting, you know, having scheduling, especially during the holidays that we've just survived in home health, putting, you know, 13, 15, patients, just putting them on a clinician schedule and saying, give it your best shot, basically. Um, you figure out who can fit. And this idea that, well, if you can't do them all, you, you know, try to reschedule or just visit them. This doesn't seem to fit with really anything you and I have ever talked about in a podcast session or otherwise about how are we making clinically driven decisions about how we're utilizing our resources, whether it's a visit or collaborating through other disciplines. It still seems to be a bit more survival mode than I would like to see. My observation is that I think patients are getting a bit more assertive about what they want and what they don't want. Um, I remember kind of the whole, you know, I don't really want to be seen today. I'm not really feeling very well. And you kind of try to, the therapy wasn't trying to kill them. And you get agreement most often than not. The pandemic situation has, has added a whole, you're not coming to my house. You will not amount of time or you won't come more than once a week to see my grandma, which I think has put another challenge level into this conversation. Absolutely. And I am sure Kelly has a few thoughts on that as well. I'd like to introduce everyone to Kelly Coase. Zach, who's an RNBSN uh, clinical manager, Cox Health at Home in Springfield, Missouri. Kelly has been in that position for a number of years. She's got a lot of years of experience behind her. One of the things, Kelly, that I think is going to come out as we talk to, to you about some of these things, one of the differences between how you operate in your team and how some of your other uh, fellow clinical managers operate is that you are one of the very rural teams of of your agency. And I think we have to get that out there because it's going to make a little bit of a difference, I think. We're eager to have Kelly here. Cindy, <laughs> Cindy suggested in the beginning that I make it clear and remind everyone that Cindy's a physical therapist. I'm an <laughs> occupational therapist, but we have a lot of friends that are nurses too. So we don't just talk to each other. So Kelly, welcome. I'd like to start off this conversation with a question, kind of a broad question. What changes have you made this last year that you think might go forward with you? Well, with the with the pandemic, with PDGM, and changing the way we do our IDTs or case conferences, the weekly virtual meetings, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll continue with those. I'm a people person, and I would, I hope to have at least one meeting, if not a month, a quarter, to get my staff together once all this is, you know, once all the pandemic is settled. But, but the virtual meeting. They they work well down here because my staff is scattered over six and a half very rural counties, and 
they don't all have to come into the office if we do the virtual meetings. So that decreases the amount of time they have to spend driving to the office and from the office to get back to their territory. And we're on we're on our meetings for about an hour, and then they're back at work. So that's I I enjoy that. But again, I I'd, I'd like to get them together at least once a month if it's if it's possible once all this is settled. But I really yeah. like the meetings. I think there are a lot of people who are going to share that uh, sentiment with you regarding probably not going back to those in person meetings as much as we all thought were so necessary um, mm-hmm. with. Um, all the Zoom and and all the other technology that we've become so dependent on. That being said, relative to your interdisciplinary team meetings, have you seen many changes to how your clinicians on your team have managed their interdisciplinary care and the way they communicate? Well, before all of this, they would they would contact me first. And I've always been a proponent of interdisciplinary interdisciplinary communication. I'm not out there seeing the people my people are out there seeing the patients. So I've always encouraged that, but now I not only encourage it, I mandate it. If they if they call me about something, if a nurse calls me something about a therapy question, if a therapist calls me about a nurse, I refer them to the other discipline because they really need to communicate. And they've gotten they've gotten a lot better at it of of talking amongst one another and mounting ideas off of each other and I I really think that makes the entire patient care experience work so much better. Kelly, this is Cindy. Uh, do, you, do you utilize um, therapy assistants or LPNs at your organization? In in my area down here, I have a PTA, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could find a CODA to hire, <laughs> I would. They are few and far between. Uh, and we don't we have LPNs there they work for another division and we've we started trying to use an LPN in the home health system but with doing our visits more minimalistically with the PDGM model and and inserting tel- telephone visits it just it just wasn't going to be a good fit if i had enough once my census grows more, I think I could probably insert an LPN in there or two. But right now, we've you know we've kind of down we've kind of held our census down a little bit because of staffing and COVID and all this. But hopefully, 2021, my area census I can bring back up, and then I would like to utilize LPNs because I think they're an asset. So how would you, even with the, the few you have at the moment, just namely the PTA, mm-hmm. how, how do you include them in the interdisciplinary conversation? I ask this just contextually because sometimes I see organizations emphasize interdisciplinary communication and collaboration between the RN, PT, and OT. And then mm-hmm. the assistants or the LPNs are kind of like, they'll, you know, it's supposed to translate to them, but they don't actively participate. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, even with the few that you have. Well, I, they're always included on the weekly IDT meetings because right now it's just our PTA, but um, he does a lot of treatments for our, the physical therapist, so he can give them an, a bigger over a better overall picture of how that patient's doing. And then I also have him, you know, if it's a nurse question, I have him call the case the nurse case manager 
if it's a therapy question, I encourage him to call the therapist. So I include him in that interdisciplinary communication, just like I do my RNs, PTs, and OTs. Good. I always like to hear all of that uh, good, clean, direct, one-to-one communication. No room for error there. Just putting a shout out there, any COTAs that live in uh, southwest Missouri, <laughs> she's looking for one. <laughs> OT, um, OT and CODA. I just lost my there OT. We go. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of communication, what about communication with the patient? Have you seen, well, let me stop and back up a sec. In previous conversations that Cindy and I had on these podcasts, we were talking about this population, this age population, and how there uh, is probably a greater utilization of some of these smart pieces than what a lot of people think, that it seems to be a common misnomer that old people can't do technology. (laughs) Um, Have you seen or have you heard any of your clinicians talking about utilizing any of that technology to communicate or monitor or encourage or whatever with their patients? Well, Karen, as you said, I am very rural and I am very um, old school down here. So in my area, a lot of our elderly do not. We may have a handful that, that use their smart technology. Uh, my team primarily utilizes the in-person visits, telephone visits. We haven't implemented the technology down here to do the telemonitor visits. That's something I I would hope to be able to see if it'll work in my area this year because I think it would be beneficial. Um, we just have not started that in this area. I think Springfield has tried it in some areas, but they haven't brought it further south to me yet, and that's something I'd like to look into, but mostly phone calls. And, of course, there's always that uh, pesky business of um, in rural areas, the cell connections being a little spotty, too. That doesn't help. Correct. No, not at all. (laughs) However, I do know that your health system has a very robust remote patient monitoring Mm -hmm. service as well. Do you feel like that has uh, increased or have you relied more on that service? Well, we we do the tele – we put the – telemonitors in, the vital signs, but as far as remote for my area, we haven't done so much. We do we do a few phone visits, but we have done more in person. Um, most of our patients, we may have cut our frequency down a bit per their request, but most of the patients that we see, we are seeing in person in the West Plains area. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that so, different? than your fellow clinical managers that are more urban-based? Well, I think, honestly, Karen, that they are still doing a lot of in-person visits. I don't don't know the percentage on what they're doing remotely. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't have that number. I guess then, um, overall, my question would be, kind of back to our opening um, statement, and that is, 
from looking back on this year, is there anything that you have done differently or would like to have done differently that you look forward to possibly carrying forward into the new year? I think making technology a bigger part in my area, and that's going to depend on technology, <laughs> how sure. well how well they get the the 5G and the and the signals down here. Because I think I think we could build our census more if we can do some remote monitoring in addition to our patient visits. That's my wish for 2021. How's that? <laughs> well, that's kind of interesting because with all of the summaries that we've been getting for uh, the bills that have been passed in uh, the recent weeks that were supposed to be helpful for COVID-19, I'm not sure I saw anything in there about boosting um, signals. They probably won't. Cindy, did you hear about anything um, relative to that as far as I have not, but but I think that's a great point because I think, you know, especially if we took COVID out of the equation for a minute, the rural providers like yourself have always been spread thin over mm -hmm. large geographical areas, and the ability to use technology seems like that would just be a natural fit, but between dead spots and bad signals, I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't really make it user-friendly to say, it, hey, let, let's go that route. Yeah, it doesn't, and that, that would be my wish. You know, I know they're working on 5G. I'm just not sure how, if they're working on 5G in this area or if it'll right. even be beneficial. Uh, right. But that has always been my wish because I think we could, I think we could make so much more of an impact if we had a better technology base in my area. Okay, so there's our parting idea. Everybody write your congressman to <laughs> <laughs> see if we can get 5G to southern Missouri. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, but honestly I, I don't want to interrupt, but, but you know me well enough, Karen, I'm having a thought. Um, as somebody who's about to relocate her living situation to more rural, there, because of COVID, there have been a lot of, of efforts to boost signal in homes because of the need for online education and, and getting the school thing taken care of. And I think there's a lot of resources people are not aware of. I know I was not. We kind of stumbled into an option at a very low cost that significantly boosts a single a signal, but it's like there's a number of them dedicated to a particular geography and a resident would need to investigate from a cellular provider. And if you're rural and eligible, you can qualify to get one of these devices that, I mean, the signal strength is unbelievable. And I did not know about it. And even our, our realtor and people around there didn't. So there might be options related to the boosting of signal for the schools that may be something you could tap into. Well, there we go. I'm going to have to get that from you, Cindy. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Cindy, thank you. And thank for every, thanks to everyone else who has joined us in listening in on this podcast. And we hope there's been something about this that uh, stimulates some thoughts and some ideas. And maybe you'll reach out and share those with someone else. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Candid Conversations About Home Care a podcast jointly produced by NAC and HHFMA. For more information, 
visit our website at www.nahc.org.